So as um, Allison was saying, we are going through the book of John, and I kind of felt like there was this kind of like, oh, still, still in the book of John. There's kind of this like shoulders drooping, you know, we're kind of, we're like, oh, we're kind of, kind of getting tired of seeing this slide, seeing the, seeing the words up there. But can I just say this about the book of John just for a moment? This is kind of impromptu. I wasn't, I wasn't planning on it. This book is designed so that if you are brand new today, like if this is your first time in church, this book is for you. Like literally the way that it was written by the apostle John, what he had in mind was I want to write about the life of Jesus in the most simplistic way so that anyone who is new to following Jesus will get to know him. So keep that in mind. And then the second thing is, this is how brilliant the book of John is. If you've been following uh, Jesus your whole life, like you were born in these chairs and you've continued to come to church week in and week out, believe it or not, this book is written for you. It's that dynamic, it's that inspirational, it's that clever that the writer of the book of John would say, I care about the people who are new to faith and the people who've been here their whole life. And there's something for everyone in this book. And before we get to the passage in John 15, I actually want to begin with an encouraging word for you all. You guys need an encouraging word today? Some inspiration? Okay, here it is. You can't do it. My, my boy Joey in the back, give me starting the applause. Thank you, sir. Let me try that again. Whatever your goals are, whatever your dreams are, your aspirations in life, whatever challenges you face, hardships you're going through right now that you've brought in the room with you, you can't achieve it. You can't overcome it on your own. Like I need you, I need you to hear that today. Because here's the truth. You're not good enough. You probably haven't heard this in a long time. (laughs) You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. And the truth is, neither am I. And the continued truth is that neither are any of your leaders in this room. Neither are any other adults in this room. Neither are any of the adults or any of the pastors in this entire building. We can't go throughout life on our own. In our culture, we celebrate and promote this idea of being independent to a fault. Hear me on this. We don't have enough time to unpack this thoroughly with all the technology and information that we have available for us today. We can tend to believe at times that we don't need God. And we don't need people. And we think we can do this this crazy thing called life on our own. And the problem is that we are more dependent than we realize. Even if that's not something you hear in your classrooms with your friends, you are more dependent of an individual, of a human being, than you realize. That's an important thing for us to grasp today. And I'm going to prove it to you because some of you are like, nah, I don't think that. I think I got this whole thing called life together. I'm going to prove it to you. All right, everyone, raise your hand. Everyone in the room. Adults, you can participate too if you want. This will be fun. It's a quick game. I think it'll prove a point. If not, then I'll just look dumb and we'll keep moving. But everyone's hands raised, okay? So keep your hand up if you drove yourself here today. If you did not, put your hand down. All right. If your hand is down, you know what that means? Womp, womp, womp. You're dependent on someone. 
a mom or a dad, a brother or sister. Keep your hands raised if you, if you drove yourself. Okay. If you need to switch arms because they get tired, I get it. Keep it up. Next one is this. Keep your hand up if you pay for your gas or your insurance. All right, a few hands went down. I knew we'd wipe out a lot with the driving here, but we got a few more that went down. Okay, these lights are a little bright. Let me scan. We still have a lot of high schoolers with their hands raised. Hopefully the adults. <laughs> Most of the high schoolers. Okay, good, good. Quite a few. Okay, one more, one more question. One more question. Listen, listen. Is it? Because you're probably thinking, oh, I got him. I, drive, I drove here. I pay for my insurance and my gas. I'm going to finish this out strong. Here it is. Keep your hand raised if you built your own car. No. There's, unless there's like a, a hillbilly boy's like, I built my F-150 from the scratch. That's, that's about it. That would be the only exception, maybe. No? No hands raised? <laughs> you see what I did there? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm not a brilliant person. I'm just trying to use some common sense here. At some point, we need people to help us. Maybe you're someone in this room, you're like, man, I work, I work 20 hours a week at this place. My parents don't do anything for me. I got it all together. I'm going to this college. I got my life together. Here's the truth. At some point, you're going to need someone. And that is the message we need to consider as we enter into John 15. Because here's the thing, as we, before we get to the verse, we weren't designed to thrive on our own. We were not created that way. We weren't, we weren't designed to exist independently. We especially weren't designed to think of ourselves as self-made. Can I give you a really funny example? This is impromptu. Coop, I'm definitely going over, so I'm going to watch the time. But, but here's the thing. This is crazy. Guys, this is crazy. I know we're in church. It's kind of be a little weird to talk about this. But you guys know the rapper Drake? This is crazy. This is crazy. Get this. So he is known. He is known. He has said this publicly. He goes, I'm self-made. He's not the only rapper or successful person to say this. But here's the thing about, about Drake. I just want to prove to you this point even more. Drake is one of the most successful and famous artists in history for his, for his skill set, for, for what he's accomplished. Okay, So keep that in mind. But here's the thing. I don't know if you knew this. I did a little Google search on old Drake. Get this. Did you know that Drake was an actor at 15? That's how he got started. He was in the show called Degrassi, really old TV show. Do you know how he got his start? It wasn't because he took a video of himself and said, hey, I'm an amazing actor and I'd love to be on the show and I'm really good and you should hire me. It was all on him. No, no, no. This is what Drake did. His high school buddy had a dad who was an acting agent. And in Toronto, where he's from, the acting agent went to the show Degrassi and said, hey, this guy, Drake, he's good. He vouched for Drake. Drake gets his start. On Degrassi, kills it, does a great job. Then this gets discovered by this rapper, by Lil Wayne, after putting out tracks online. And then in 2011, gets signed to a record deal and starts making millions. Here's my point. Here's my point. Drake, very successful person in life, who would claim, I'm self-made. I did it myself. I started from the bottom. Now I'm here. Here's the deal. He didn't start at the bottom by himself. He had people every step of the way helping him. Take the next step. Helping him become who he was. He's not self-made. I'm sorry, Drake. You're definitely not listening to me. You're not going to hear me speak ever, maybe. But here's the truth. You're not self-made. You're not self-made. I'm not self-made. We are not people 
who can do this life on our own. And that's, believe it or not, we're going from Drake, from Drake to John 15. It's, we're going to do this. We're going to make this jump. In John 15, Jesus gives us a picture of how depending on him, get this, depending on him actually leads to the life that we want and leads to the life that we need. We're not wired to be dependent solely on ourselves. We are wired to be dependent upon Jesus. We're not self-made. We're not these individualistic superstars where we make it on our own and we automate every part of our life. Everything goes back. There's a string that we can trail back to our Savior and to our Creator. And that's what John 15 reminds us of today. So if you have your Bibles, go to John 15. We're going to start in the first verse. I'm going to pray because we need to pray because this is going to go off the rails if we don't. You guys ready? Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for today. Father, whatever we bring into the room today, whether it's whether it's ego, whether it's pride, whether it's that sense that we got this. Would you help us humbly understand that we don't got this? Not because we're weak or we're frail or you want us to feel belittled or small or inhuman, but because, Father, you want us to see how big you are. We just sing about how you're the alpha, you're the omega, you're the beginning, you're the end. We are not. Father, would you humble us? in a loving, gracious way to remind us really where our place is. And then, Father, when we are there, how wonderful and refreshing and needed and how often we can thrive in that place when we discover where that is. So, Father, we ask that in this moment today. Amen. So let me read John 15 for us. Verse 1 says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, and while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, and if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, ooh, here's the dagger, you can do nothing. What a contrary message to 2023, am I right? Apart from me, you, you're useless. You got diddly squat. Here's the important context. When we jump into a, a scripture, I'm sure Zach has talked to you about this, you can't just take it for what it is. You have to read around it. So if we read around it and we zoom out for just a moment, here's what's happening. Jesus has been talking with his best friends, his crew, for a while now, likely a few hours, and they're at a dinner table. It's the Last Supper. But here's the deal. If you've ever seen a movie where there's a bomb that's about to explode and the timer's ticking down from 15 seconds and your heart starts to race because you're getting anxious and you're like, oh, this is about to explode. What's going to happen? That's what's happening in this scenario. There's anxiety. There's pressure. There's a weight. And the disciples are realizing for the first time, Jesus is about to go away. The Savior that has walked alongside them for three years, who has mentored them, who has helped them develop, who has helped them become who they are in life up to this point, he's told them already, I'm going away. Oh, and by the way, and after chapter 15, he says, you're going to face troubles and it's going to get hard. And so in this moment, as the anxiety is swelling and it's getting harder and harder for them, for the disciples to comprehend what's taking place, what Jesus is trying to help them understand is that when things get tough, 
or your ego starts going through your head and you think you got this, I want you to remember something. He says to them very clearly in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. What he's doing is, He's helping them remember the original order of how all things exist. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go grab this tree over here. I was supposed to grab a plant for my house. I totally forgot it. And so I found this in the atrium. Someone's probably upset and looking for a tree. Don't tell them where it is because we need it right now. Okay. So when Jesus says to them, hey, I'm the vine, you're the branches. What you have to remember is that this was written over 2,000 years ago, likely. Or at least it was written within that context of 2,000 years ago, right? So these are agrarian people, meaning they all grew up kind of like how we do here. There's farms everywhere. But for them, everyone farmed. Lots of people farmed. That was just how they lived. It was all around them. They were immersed in it. And so when Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, you are the branches, he's thinking of a wine branch. Vineyards. He's thinking of how Israel back in the Old Testament was compared to, Two vine branches. We can't get into that today. That's deeper, deeper learning for another day. But here's what he wants us to understand. This is very simple. You don't have to be a plant expert. You don't need to get your doctorate in this. Very straightforward stuff. Here it is. This is what Jesus wants them to understand. Jesus is this part. Can everyone up there see this? The vine, the main part of the plant. Everyone see that? A little nod, yeah. God he said, is kind of like this cosmic gardener. He stands back here, right? He's looking at all the branches. He's pruning. He's helping it grow. He's watering it, taking care of the plant. And me and you are these little old branches. These little guys right here. can barely see them probably from your seat. That's on purpose. You see, in 2023, in our world, you know what we're told? It's the opposite. We're not these little old branches today. You know what we are? And you know what we can tend to slip into if we're not careful? We're here. We're the cosmic gardener. I'm making my own destiny, creating my own fruit. All I got to do is create this passive income stream. All I got to do is get that degree, and then my life is set. I don't need my parents, I don't need my friends, I don't need anyone telling me what to do. This is my plant. If you tell me how to grow my own fruit, make my own branches grow, develop, develop what I want to develop, well, I don't have to agree with you. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm here to tell you today, that mindset, that attitude, that way that we can tend to slip into, maybe some of you are there right now because you've had a hard high school year. Maybe you've had a hard high school years, and you're like, dude, it's me. My parents, they're, they're not even helping me at all. I'm doing everything on my own. What do you, you don't know my life. You don't know what I'm going through, and I probably don't. I probably don't have a clue what you're going through. But regardless of what you're going through, or regardless of the student here that's been pampered all the way since freshman year and before that, the truth is still the truth. There is this cosmic order that Jesus is trying to remind to the disciples and to you and me that we are not the gardeners, the ones that help the plant grow. There is a God that stands back here and he sees everything and you and I cannot. It's that simple. Like if there's a, there's a visual that you need today, my poor wife, gosh, 
She's a champ. I didn't even think she was going to come here. So, hey, round of applause for her. Seriously, like that's a, she's going to hate it. Listen, I'm not going to tell her that we applied for her, but that's, that's tough. One month until our next baby, and then she'll feel, it'll be a lot better. But, all right, back to this, and, we'll, and then we'll keep going. If there's a visual you need today, if you guys can even see it. You see this little branch right here. This is you and me. And I'm telling you, that's a good thing. This is a really good thing that you and I are right here because here's the image that Jesus wants us to understand. He's not trying to make us feel small and insignificant and worthless. He's trying to show you how big God is. We can't be here. We can't be on the outside seeing the whole picture, seeing the whole plant, making the fruit come. That's God's job. And that's a really good encouragement. And that's a helpful thing for us to understand today. Let me read two verses. I'll, re- I'll reread verse 5, and I'm going to read verse 6 for us. They'll be on the screen. This helps us flesh out this idea more. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6. If you do not remain in me, this is the, the hard part. If you do not remain in me, You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into a fire, and burned. Harsh. But one of the reasons, like I said in the beginning, why John is such a fantastic book, it's one of the most simplistically written gospels, one of the most simplistically written books in the whole Bible. Very straightforward. We have the tendency, we, we can get to a place in life where we think we don't need God anymore. And what we end up doing is, like I said before, putting ourselves either, uh, either intentionally or unintentionally in God's position. And here's the truth, right? Let me, be a little, let me help and encourage us for a moment. It's true that God has created us and he gives us dominion. Genesis actually talks about this. When he created Adam and Eve and he sent them off, he actually created us to... Be responsible. Have a healthy form of independence. God wants us to be productive. He wants us to collaborate and enjoy the work that we do and be people who, who love kind of becoming who we desire to be and becoming adults. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to be in some way, shape, or form independent. Where we get carried away is when we say things like this. Maybe you said this. I know I have. I know what's best for me. Someone in your life tries to say, hey, can I just talk to you about this real quick? And then you immediately go, ah, hey, I know what's best for me. And then you end up making decisions in isolation from the people who know you, who love you, and they want good things for you. Or maybe you've said something like this. I know how I have. That's the only reason I'm saying this. I'm not hypocritical. Maybe you said something like this. This book doesn't make sense to me, therefore it doesn't apply to me. Ever said that or thought that? I'm a pastor and I have. When we attempt to function apart from the vine, from Jesus, what verse 6 tells us in a harsh way, but a truthful way, a helpful way, in the image that he's communicating to us is that basically the branches that don't grow, that aren't tethered because they're not connected to the vine, they wither and they die. 
And branches that don't grow and produce leaves, I don't know if you have plants at your home, what do your parents do? Snip, snip. They prune it. In other words, what Jesus is saying, you become useless when you are detached from me, who is the true vine. But here's what he says instead, because that's not where the story ends. That's not where, that's, Jesus is not trying to hang doom and gloom over the disciples' head. What he's saying is this, I want you to remain in me. So let's talk about that. Other translations of the Bible, if you've been in church for a long time, you've heard this word called abide. You ever heard that word? Abide in me. I'm still trying to understand what that means. The word remain that I have in my translation, I understand a little more. It's a little helpful, but we still need to unpack it. Because when Jesus says, I want you to remain in me, when you remain in me, you produce fruit. When you remain in me, you have life. When you remain in me, you have purpose. So your natural next question should be, okay, then how do I remain? Let's talk about it. Here it is. Remain can mean to stay, like stay put. Remain can mean to dwell, to exist in a space. Like right now I'm dwelling in here, right? But I'm not really dwelling because I'm not going to be here very long. I'm going to leave after this is done, right? We all don't really dwell for long term in this room because we're here for a couple hours on a Sunday. But you dwell in your home or your apartment. Really one of the best words that I've heard that helps us unpack this idea of remain came from Ben Miller. He preaches on Sunday mornings in the big room occasionally. He said this, the idea of remain is the idea of unpacking. Unpacking. Okay, let's think about this for a moment. How many seniors do we have in the room? Cool. Quite a few. So let's go on this little imagery journey. Unpacking. Very soon, the seniors in this room are going, or at least if they decide to, they're going to go to a place called college. And when you get to college, if you're living on campus, you're going to have, you're going to live in what? A dorm room. Dorm room. Okay, well, let's, let's play this out. You pack up all your stuff, put them in a box, all your you know, all your laundry, all your, your bath stuff, everything. It's in, a, it's in a bunch of boxes, some bags, right? You're going to get to your dorm room. You're going to walk in the room. You're going to put all your stuff in a room. And you're going to go, wow, this is all my life in boxes. That's crazy, right? That's one realization. But here's the other thing. Here's probably what you're not going to do. Maybe some of the guys will do this for a little while, but gr- the girls would definitely will not. The moment those boxes hit the floor and all the stuff is spread out, within a few hours, definitely not beyond that week, everything is going to find a place. I'm going to put the stuff in the bathroom. I'm going to put my clothes in the, in the drawer. You're going to unpack everything. Because what you're doing is, when you are unpacking, what you're saying is, for this semester, here's why I remain. You don't remain at your parents' house anymore. All your stuff is out. You are remaining now in a dorm room. For the duration of the semester, maybe the entire year. Now, if that's the case, let's keep this going for, for a moment. Would it be weird if you're at college? Because here's, here's the truth about a dorm room. What happens in a dorm room? You do homework. You talk to friends. You might bring food in there. It's where you sleep. Basically, that's where you'll spend most, if not a lot of your time, maybe all of your time, Right? in this dorm room. It's a special place. Wouldn't it be weird 
if you unpacked everything in your room, in your dorm room, you said, you know what I'm going to do? This first week has been good in my dorm room, but I kind of want to hang out in Stacy's room. I think I'm going to, I'm going to go to her room. And then Monday night, you're in Stacy's room. And then the Tuesday night, you know what? I don't want to go back to my dorm room. I'm going to go to Gladys's room. I'm going to go to Gladys's room. That sounds fun. And then you keep going. And every night of the week, all your friends are like, what are you? You have your own dorm room. You pay money for this place. Go, go to your bed. Go to your room, right? Wouldn't that be weird? When Jesus says, I want you to remain in me, what he's saying is, I need you to unpack and dwell and exist in who, in who I am, in my truth, in my hope, in my salvation. Because here's the truth. Sometimes we remain on our phone a little longer than we should. We remain with maybe the not-so-great people or they're, instead of us being the influence, they're being the influence of us. Sometimes we just remain too long in places and with people we shouldn't. Are you with me? What Jesus is simply saying in this, he, here's, he doesn't want to make this complex. It's very simple. I want you to remain in me. This is the truth. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And apart from me, over time, the fruit that was once there just begins to dwindle. Believe it or not, this is actually a message of hope. It's a message of like, hey, here's the truth. Here's encouragement. But there's also a consequence for not remaining. So let's, we're going to finish with this. I just want to leave us with two things that really help us drill into what it means to remain. Because some of you are thinking, oh, okay, I want to really understand this and not be confused. Two things. They'll be on the screen. Two points. The first step to thinking, okay, how do I remain in Jesus and make sure I'm not unpacking in places where I shouldn't? First thing you have to do is admit that you are dependent. Like, I know that sounds weird. That feels like helpless and weak and not very inspiring. I'll admit that. But it can be one of the best things you can do in your spiritual walk when you realize that there is someone higher than me and there's someone better than me and there's someone that wants good for me and there's someone who actually knows what's going to happen tomorrow. There's someone who knows what's going to happen after I graduate. There's someone that knows what my sophomore year, my junior year, my senior year are going to look like. That's a good thing. It's actually a healthy thing for you to remind yourself, yeah, I'm dependent to a certain point. I'm responsible and I get my stuff done and people like me and this and that, but it comes a point where I hit a wall and I go, you know what? I actually don't know everything. That's what dependence is. And just again, just to recap, it doesn't mean you're irresponsible. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're useless. It doesn't mean you're lazy. If there are parents in here, they're like, please don't tell my kid they're dependent because I need them to be independent at some point, right? There are parents who are thinking that. Being dependent upon the Lord does not mean you are a lazy individual. It just means you place the areas of your life where you need to be dependent in the right place. And you're unpacking where Jesus asks you to unpack. It just means that you realize that God is this cosmic gardener and he sees and knows everything. And what you're choosing is to depend on him. We don't have enough time to talk about this, but it's amazing how depending on God 
actually creates healthy areas in our life where we become independent. We're not fully independent, but when we depend upon the one who's the vine, who knows all, we get to say, you know what? I feel, I feel confident and independent in this area of my life because of my dependence on Jesus. More to say there, maybe later in life, maybe at a different time, but that's, there's something there. And then it's okay to recognize how small you are when you remember how big God is. I just want you to remember, I'm this little branch, and that's okay. One last thing for us. You need to be honest about where you remain. No one can be honest for you. You're sitting here in your own seat. You've got to think to yourself, where have I been unpacking? Where have I put my toiletry bag and my clothes where they probably shouldn't be? You need to be honest about where you remain. You can't unpack in a healthy way in multiple dorm rooms. Can I clarify this? It's okay to spend time with people who don't know Jesus. I need to say that. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. It's probably not a good idea to unpack and dwell with people who aren't following Jesus. That's a little different. We unpack and we go home to Jesus. You know, my wife just ran out the door with Presley and Harper. It's crazy town in my house. But you know where I'm going tonight? I'm going home. I got to go home every night, and I want to go home every night. It would be inappropriate and weird for me to remain any other place. People would say, Connor, is your marriage okay? You've been sleeping in the Motel 6. Yeah, I remain with her and with my kids, no matter what. It's okay for me to spend time with my buddies and go to, go to a friend's house, say hi, have dinner, but I'm not remaining there. And if you follow Jesus in this room, you must unpack with him. And how we learn to do that, here are a few things that would help. Here are a few things how we unpack our life and remain in the vine with Jesus. Remaining could mean making this place a priority. As much as possible, remaining here, unpacking here means I'm showing up no matter what, as long as I can, as often as I can. Maybe it means making small group a priority. Maybe it means saying, man, I have this sports team or this other commitment, but as much as I can, I'm going to work around, I'm going to get to remaining and unpacking with the people who love and follow Jesus. Maybe it means starting or ending your days with worship music. It's amazing how different your day is when you listen to Jesus and words about him in the morning or at the end of the day versus anything else. It's not wrong to listen to other music. All I'm saying is when you unpack more with him, your day looks different. Maybe it means instead of being like, oh, reading this thing is such a drag. What if you tried reading it with other people? Saying, hey, I, I struggle doing this on my own. Would you do this with me? I need to unpack more here. I need to put more of my life into the gospel, into the story of Jesus to help me remain and unpack with him. And I'm sure there are friends or small group leaders in this room who would love to help you with that. These spiritual disciplines are not rules. They're guidelines. And they're guidelines, as you're unpacking, they form you and guide you to the truth to the vine, so that you're this developed fruit. And then, not just so you stay that way, but you help create more fruit. That's why Zach stands up here week and week after week and wants you to thrive in your faith because every other part of your, part of your life that's under your faith actually gets better, despite how it may feel at times. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song called Nothing Else. And you're going to sing the song and be like, you're going to say these words that say, 
All I need is Jesus and nothing else. And I'm just going to be straight up honest with you all today. I feel like it's all I've been is honest, so I probably don't need to say that, but I'm be a little more honest. You're going to stand up and you're going to sing these words and you're going to feel in your heart, I don't feel that way. You're literally going to feel, maybe not all of you, but some of you at least are going to be like, I actually don't feel like I need nothing else. Like, I feel like I got my stuff together pretty well. Can I say this? It's okay to feel that way. But the reason that you come here is so that you realize over time that I want to depend on God, even if I don't feel like I need to. Or I need to, I need to become more dependent with God, even when I feel like I don't want to. Part of the ways that we do that is we stand up and we sing and we worship. Because what you do when you're singing, you're actively participating, you're telling your brain and your body and your heart that I need that because that's truth regardless of what I feel. That's why we worship. And so at this time, I'm going to invite you guys to stand. And I'm going to pray for us. And would you, as you're singing and as we're worshiping, would you, I'm going to move this plant off the stage, but would you just remember in the most healthy way possible, you and I are these little branches that are connected to the vine who is Jesus and that is taken care of by the God who is cosmic and knows you and loves you and wants good for you. And this little seemingly insignificant branch and knowing that you and I are that can be the best thing for you.